Well, this morning, if you brought your copy of God's Word with you, we're in the Gospel of Matthew, as you can see here, chapter 10, verse 24 through 31 this morning, and I've titled this message this morning, Fear God, Not Man. And in a general sense, I think we all kind of say, well, of course, right? You fear God and not man, but in a practical sense, um, most of us probably live lives... Um, not fearing God, but actually fearing man and making decisions based on fear of man and not God. And so um, in connecting our passage this morning with where we're at contextually, if you remember, uh, Jesus last week from verses 16 down through verse 23 in Matthew chapter 10 had just warned his disciples about something. Remember what it was? It was the promise of persecution. You know, I was, I was reminded of, in a very, this is a perhaps maybe too small of a way or too uh, unimportant of a way to kind of think about this, but I remember one time being in high school and um, was uh, informed early in the morning that because of my deeds uh, on the previous day that um, persecution was coming when I got to the coach's office uh, for misdeeds that I had, it was just in, just joking around, of course. We were just boys having fun, doing silly stuff like picking up, you know, Volkswagens and moving them in front of doors, things. But nonetheless, I was told that when I got to the to sixth hour, that the coach had a um, had some persecution awaiting me, and so all day long I was thinking about the reality of of the Blue Max and um, the connecting of that with my backside and the education that I was going to gain as a result of it. And I can promise you, um, uh, if you spare not the rod, your children are educated. Um, I did not want to continue making said mistakes. It's an education indeed. But um, these disciples were promised of persecution. Jesus says, I'm going to send you out, oh, by the way, as sheep into the midst of wolves. And 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 from verses 16 through 23, he gave them some uh, very particular uh, things over which they would rightly perhaps be fearful of. And so again, the title is the need to fear God and not man, especially as we have been sent out as ambassadors of Christ into a landscape of our culture today to do gospel ministry in the same way that they were sent out into their culture, into the landscape in which they lived, in their context, to do gospel ministry ministry. Now, in thinking through the progression that we've kind of seen thus far as Jesus has been giving instruction to these 12, uh, enfolding them into that um, gospel ministry effort, Uh, if we go back to chapter 9, verse 37, all the way through chapter 10, verse 8, we saw that Jesus carefully instructed instructed them on what they were expected to do. They were expected to go out and preach the gospel of the kingdom, and it said to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Remember that? He gave them the what to do. And then from chapter 10, verse 9, picking up there through 23, he carefully instructed them on what they were going to need to endure as a result of doing that gospel ministry. And he laid out for them a pretty harsh path moving forward into um, that um, harvest of lost souls. As a matter of fact, if you remember, he told them to take no provisions with them whatsoever, no money in their belt, food in their bags, extra clothing. He sent them out with, with no provisions 
Uh, also, with that full assurance, remember, the full assurance that what awaited them was persecutions. As a result of being faithful to doing gospel ministry. They perhaps might have had reason to fear man and not God. Can you start to feel it just a little bit? And then this morning, from verse 24 of chapter 10 down through verse 31, we're going to see that Jesus <coughs> carefully instructs them on why they are not to fear this inevitable persecution that will happen to them. And in our passage this morning, Jesus is going to give them three things to consider. Three things to consider as to why they can be sent out as sheep into amidst the midst of wolves within their culture to face the not just prospect, but the promise of persecution as a result of being an ambassador for Christ and speaking about the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. He's going to give them three things that they should consider and embrace, and when rightly understood and embraced, it seems that Jesus is assuming that that would assuage their natural concerns when facing this religious persecution for gospel ministry. And so obviously, by application, I think we could say the same is true for us today. Uh, whatever form of persecution uh, each of us may face today in whatever context that we may find ourselves living, if, no matter what context you're living in, it doesn't matter. If, if, you, if you stand on biblical principles and you live with a biblical worldview, I can promise you, you can be the nicest person ever. You can speak as kindly, even with a little bit of a deferential bow when you say it. But I can promise you that when you do that, just the fact that you're one of Christ's followers and you have moral principles that are governed by a book we call the Bible, you will face some form of persecution. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. And so we, um, when we leave here this morning... Um, if we still are making the conscious decision um, in light of the promise of persecution and these glorious truths that Jesus lays out for our consideration as to why we can face persecution, when you leave today, church, if it's your desire to, to leave these doors and to still be identified as a follower of Jesus, might these truths encourage your hearts because in here when we gather it's easy this is when the church gathers Sunday mornings is not to be soft evangelism most churches turn Sunday mornings either into hardcore evangelism or soft evangelism just read the scriptures about what churches do that's not what churches are for it's just so obvious if you just read the word and take it for what it says the church gathers because, listen, when, when we scatter, we're called to be engaged in a mission, a gospel-spreading mission, and out there it gets real nasty really fast. And so we gather on the Lord's Day to be encouraged, to be strengthened. When you sing these songs, don't you feel hope arise, strength arise? When you sing songs about gospel truth? Can you not just feel it arise? This is why the church gathers, and we gather to get around the word of God as though it's like a, this beautiful blaze of fire that's there to encourage us. But, and so we gather for encouragement, all the more because we know the day of Christ is drawing near, amen? But we also know that 
1 p.m.'s coming. Now I just extended my preaching time. I'm just kidding. But we know that we're going to be walking out those doors at some point today, right? And we're going back out into that culture. And let me promise you, if you make a conscious decision to be a Christ follower out there, you're going to need to know about some of these things that Jesus calls his disciples to consider with regard to not fearing man, but instead fearing God. These truths will help each of us not be afraid of the man, whoever the man may be, whoever the boogeyman may be out there, a boss, whoever it may be, uh, these things will help us get through those circumstances. Number one, the first thing we're going to see is just the simple truth that a disciple, and this is something we need to understand and embrace, a disciple is not above his master, his teacher. It's just a fact. We need to embrace that. And as a result, should thus be expected to share in their master's rejection and or persecution that comes as a result of following said master. Secondly, Jesus is going to teach his disciples the importance of right thinking, of how to rightly conduct what I'm going to call a threat assessment uh, in order to properly prioritize the things that we choose to fear so that we can rightly do away with lesser fears and live instead in light of much greater fears. Now, it seems a little bit paradoxical, but you'll see when we get to the text. And thirdly, uh, Jesus assures his disciples of their value, of their worth. Um, isn't it precious for children to understand that they're that their father values them. Jesus is going to let his disciples know of the great value that they have in the father's eyes. And one of the things we know is that when a father demonstrates this value and care and love and concern, and when children rightly understand that father's love and how he values them, the degree to which he values them, what does the scripture say that perfect love can do? Cast out fear. Cast out fear. And in so doing, we can choose to fear God and not man. Let's look at the passage together and figure out why misplaced fear of persecution is just that, misplaced. Look at verse 24 and 5. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more the members of his household. Now we already saw back in chapter 9 that the Pharisees claimed that Jesus' power came from the ruler of demons, right? We saw that in chapter 9, verse 34. The Pharisees were saying, quote, he cast out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And in just a few chapters ahead of chapter 10 here, that takes us back to 934. When we get to chapter 12, verse 24, it says the Pharisees heard this and they said, this man does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So, in verse 25, it's without question that Jesus is making himself, uh, the, 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 referencing himself here as the one who is being referred to in this way. 
Uh, notice again the very last sentence there in verse 25. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So the they here, contextually, would be these Pharisees that have already made reference to this. Um, and these Pharisees have called Jesus, who is here identifying himself as the head of the house. So if these Pharisees have called the head of the house Jesus, Beelzebub, and they, we see here that they have called him Beelzebub, um, wrongly, by the way, right? Obviously. Wrongly, they've referred to him as Beelzebub. But what Jesus says then by extension is that the same will be said of his disciples. It's the simple principle of the, the greater to lesser argument. Have you heard of that kind of an argumentation, this greater to lesser? If the Pharisees are going to call the teacher or the master, the head of the house, Beelzebub, um, certainly they will also call the disciples or the servants Beelzebub as well. And the point here is that Jesus is letting his disciples know that they need to understand that their identity with him, their being identified with him and being a follower of his, that in the same way they're coming after him, they also will come after them. If they called me Beelzebub and that what I'm doing is by the power of Beelzebub, they will charge you with the exact same thing. Again, demonstrating that a disciple is not above his teacher. That's just a principle. If you're going to follow a teacher and his teachings and they come after your teacher, you know they're coming after you. And so Jesus lets his disciples understand. And what does this allow his disciples to make a cognitive decision about? Of not being a follower. I, I've, never, I've never seen anywhere where it says, and Jesus... Um, cuffed their hands behind their backs and made them follow him unwillingly against their own will. I've seen that anywhere of you. And so in so much that he's letting them know that, listen, I'm sending you out a sheep in the, months, in the midst of wolves in a very difficult religious environment that you're going to go do gospel ministry and you will face persecution. You need to know it's because of me, not you. And if they've come after me, they will come after you. If you need to leave now, there's the door. That's, in essence, it seems, the encouragement that Jesus gives them. Does that feel like encouragement? Well, I think what it does is it starts building some steel in the spine of those who make a decision to be a follower of Jesus. Like, no, I do believe. I've seen what this man has done. I saw the leper instantaneously healed. I saw the dead person raised back to death with my own eyes. I've seen these things. They happened empirically. It's empirical data I can relate to. Where else can we go, Lord? It starts building some strength in the spine of a person that says, well, okay then, if I'm being sent out as a sheep in the midst of wolves and they're attacking my master, they're going to attack me. Let's go. Let me show you what this kind of looked like in action from Acts 5. So they followed his advice and after calling the apostles in and beating them, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer. Shame for the name. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. <laughs> Isn't that good? They wore their beating for the name of Jesus like a badge of honor. Rejoicing, it said, that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for the name. How about you? How about us, church? Are you ready to leave this place, the church gathered, so that you can let your light shine brightly for Jesus this upcoming week, even if it means you endure shame for the name? We need hope and courage to arise. Amen? Listen, church, we're on a mission. We're seeking lost sheep. If you're here and you've made a decision, a conscious decision to follow Jesus, and you're in the fold, you're his. What can man do? Why, why, why would we have a fear of man instead of a fear of God? Listen, no, no matter what your suffering may be as a result of letting your light shine for the glory of God and the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, that is something in which you can and should be able to rejoice. And let me tell you, if that doesn't put steel in your spine, I don't think anything will. Notice verse 26 again. Therefore, notice, do not fear them. Did you hear that? Do not fear them, those who will persecute you for your association with Jesus. Do not fear them. Now, we need to make certain that the reason they hate us is for right reasons. I mean, we don't want to be persecuted because we're jerks, right? Uh, we're not... Um, we're not paying bills on time, and so we have people coming and repoing our cars or whatever it may be, and then we end up in issues there. Or we're not the, we're not the proverbial um, road rage guy or gal that's uh, always uh, in a somewhat of a scuffle or scuffling at work over different issues, etc. We need to make sure that the thing for which they hate us is for the name and not because we're just... That guy, that Karen. Sorry if anybody's name here, Karen here. It's kind of a, it just kind of thing. It, it works, see? Everybody's heard. We, we don't want to do that. If they come after you because you, you let your light shine and your boss tells you that, hey, when that call comes in, here's what you tell them, and you say, I can't tell them that because that's a lie. Well, you tell them that or it's your job. Well, it's going to cost me a job. You've asked me to violate one of the commandments, thou shalt not lie. I will not sin against my God to please you. And if it costs me my job, then that's what it costs me. But can, I, can we be reasonable? Let me just, could you, hey, could you go get one of your unbelieving employees? Maybe they'll lie for you. And then I could keep my job because I like my job. I've got a family to feed. You know, we're going to be as shrewd and, and use wisdom. We're not going to go out there and purposely just dive on the sword 
but we've got to have our principles. We've got to let our light shine, come what may. Amen? Verse 26 again, Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Here Jesus lets us know that in the end, God will make everything right. At the end, when it really matters, everything that's right and good and everything that's wrong and evil will be seen for what it really is. Nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be shown. One commentator said it like this. I really like this. That's why I'm sharing it with you. The world is highly successful at illusion and deception. It can make an impressive and convincing case for sin by covering it over with seemingly good motives and helpful benefits. The world puts the best face on wickedness and the worst face on righteousness. But the Lord has decreed that there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. The world's wickedness will be shown for what it is and believers' righteousness will be shown for what it is. God has bound himself to vindicate his children. Isn't that good? The Apostle Paul said it like this when writing to the church in Corinth. In chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and make manifest the motives of hearts. And then each one's praise will come to him from God. Church, isn't that good to know? And when we live now in light of the then, we can live free of the fear of man, knowing rightly that our God's got this. He's got our back. We can be way less concerned about the momentary light affliction we face now when we choose to live now for the applause of heaven then, both then and now. Amen? We can do this, church. And by the way, did you see anything in that Corinthian passage that would seem to bring about cause for healthy fear? You see anything there by, by any chance? Oh, there we go. I highlighted it. And make manifest the motives of hearts. Oh, oh wait a second. Is there a reason for healthy fear? I think so. Again, Jesus said, nothing concealed that will not be revealed and hidden that will, not be that will not be known, including motives of hearts. Motives of the hearts. Remember, who's your church? And never forget, he's coming back. Soon. And I don't use, I use soon in a very intentional way because the scriptures keep us on the edge of our seats anticipating a soon return of the Lord. Do I think it's going to be tomorrow? No. Do I think it's going to be within this next week? No. But do I think it's soon? Absolutely, without a question. So remember whose you are. And this is why we can and should actively do what he tells us here in verse 27 of Matthew 10. Notice he says, What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. 
Here in verse 27, we clearly see yet again that God's desire is for his truth, gospel truth, to be proclaimed to all people. And in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again and that his next coming, if you remember, is coming for judgment, right? He's coming for judgment. And at that time, everything's going to be revealed. All the more reason to be bold now and to proclaim now the gospel, as it says right here, proclaim upon housetops. Now, this obviously is perhaps, we could say, well, that's a, a hyperbole to a sort. The idea of just getting on housetops and, and proclaiming it from housetops. Cultures back then, they had flat roofs. People would get on housetops, and perhaps when pastor buyers were coming by, they could even proclaim from housetops. But I think the, the, the broader context, the broader application for this is that don't let your, your adversary silence your voice. Be willing to proclaim boldly this gospel, this gospel message wherever you go, even from housetops if necessary. Now, if I drive by your house today and I see you sitting up on your, you know, your A-frame pitched roof, that might be a little bit dangerous, but I would applaud you for it. But nonetheless, how about as you just go and live out in that world tomorrow, everywhere you go, people you see, be sensitive to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the nudging of the Spirit of God in relationships that we already have, we've already connected with. Be willing to let your light shine there. Amen? Let's do that. And it's at this time when Jesus in his teaching here is going to kind of transition and teach them something very important about how to rightly evaluate fears of their need of allowing lesser fears to be controlled by a greater fear. Look at verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. We see here that fear isn't always a bad thing, right? Let me just skip the rock across a few psalms and proverbs for us. Psalm 25, 14, the secret of the Lord, your text may say the Lord, um, in the Hebrew, it just says Yahweh, the yod Hey vav Hey Yahweh. The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his commandments. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs 1.29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of Yahweh. Proverbs 3, 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahweh and turn away from evil. The word of God tells us over and over again and again how good and wise it is to fear Yahweh, the Lord God. In Psalm 103 alone, we see three different times where we're told how good it is truly to fear the Lord in Psalm 103.11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As a father has compassion on his children, so Yahweh has compassion on those who fear him. Verse 17, But the loving kindness of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. We see this theme all throughout the word of God in a multitude of places. And this, by the way, this is our God. 
this is our God who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. It's right to fear him. Only a fool wouldn't. And it's important to say somewhat of a quick word. You know how good I am at quick words. Um, about this aspect of fearing God. So many times I, I've heard, and when I get into a conversation with people and we talk about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom or knowledge, I hear the refrain that, well, really what that means, it's not talking about fear, it's just talking about a high level of respect. It's just a, it's just a strong reverence for God. It's, it's not fear. God wouldn't want us fearing him. I mean, that's like, that's what a bad parent, children fear bad parents. Do you see how messed up our cultural concepts of healthy fear are with relationship to parents? Listen, if you had a parent that whooped your butt pretty well when you got out of line, let me tell you, they didn't, it wasn't because of a lack of love for you. They loved you so dearly that they knew that whenever you were a young kid and you were running to that street and they told you to stop, you know that they, they meant stop because if you didn't, you had a butt whooping coming because they didn't want you to get run over by the car that you couldn't see. And so obedience to commands is important and the fear of the parents to say, when I tell you to stop, son, you stop. You ask questions later. You do what I tell you to do. And you develop a fear in their hearts that you can protect them for their good. We got it so mixed up today. We just let parent kids just run out in the street. Stop. They ain't stopping. They're like, hey, buddy, what's up, dog? And kids just do what they want to do. There's no sense of discipline in our culture anywhere because, well, the, the intelligentsia knows better than the simple principles of the word of God. Okay. Okay. Uh, I vented my spleen. I feel a little bit better. I've got more, but I'm going to stop. There is a healthy fear of the Lord that we should have. I think um, Psalm 119.20 captures this really well. Notice, my flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. Let me tell you, if your flesh is trembling in fear of God, it's not just a high reverence. You're understanding that if you don't keep his commandments, that he has promised cursing on you for not doing so. And you have a fear of God. Remember the, whenever the, they, uh, they're around the mountain and got Moses went up the mountain, they didn't even want to come near the mountain because of the fear they had of God. A healthy fear. We see another one of these in Hebrews 10.31. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Have you ever been terrified out of high respect for somebody? No. And it's in light of this greater fear, fear of the Lord, that all apparent lesser fears will lose their grip on you. Catch that? In light of the fear of God over your life, all lesser fears of the man, whoever the man may be, the boss, whoever he or she may be, can start to lose their grip and hold on you. Like the one mentioned at the beginning of verse 28 in Matthew 10. Look there again. Do not fear those who can kill the body. Now, that seems pretty extreme, does it not? But 
not the lesser fear. Do not fear those who can kill the body but are unable to do this, but rather fear him who is able to do that, destroy both soul and body in hell. Listen, if you're going to be successful, or we might say successfully faithful to actively living out the Christian message in faith, you must not be persuaded by lesser fears of this life, most of which, to one degree or another, are to keep you sidelined from letting your light shine for the gospel of Christ. The adversary knows what he's doing when he shoots flaming arrows into our lives. We must not be persuaded by lesser fears. And Jesus here gives us two words for encouragement. You ready for them? Well, thank you, Royce. Um, I said Jesus gave us two words. I think these are my two words based off what I see here. When he says, do not fear, maybe not fear, my two words were, stop it. Stop being afraid of the lesser fears. Fear the Lord. And that means that we may have to start learning again, or perhaps for the first time, what proper fear of God looks like. The God who is the mighty maker of heaven and earth, the one to whom all people will give an account to someday. If this book is right, do you believe, church, do you believe the book is right? We've, we've heard this phrase a lot lately. Do you believe? Do you believe, right? Now, you can believe in a football game and somebody who gets a team, but do you believe? believe believers are followers. Believers look into this and they don't start saying, well, that's not really in the Bible because some smart guy said it wasn't. And that part's not there either because another smart guy said it wasn't. And this book claims to be a, a word from God to his church, to us, his people. And if we believe and we stand on this, we need to learn to fear God. Let lesser fears go. The Apostle Paul told us that if... The, the, the greatest thing they can do is this, kill the body, it's gain. For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I want you to say that with me, ready? For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That wasn't bad. I want you to say it with some, I want you to feel it. I want you to, I want, if you're, you believe, do you believe this? I want you to say this in such a way that I feel like I know you feel like you believe it. Let's do this again, ready? For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Conviction. Now with that fact established, let me share some really good news with you from Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of Yahweh is the death of his holy ones. We sometimes so wrongly view death. We don't view death the way heaven views death. Our death is precious in the sight of Yahweh. Why? why? Why would that be? Well, maybe since because before the foundations of the world, some, from, from before the foundations of the world, he's been in hot pursuit of you, getting the gospel to you, opening spiritually blind eyes for you so that you would choose to follow Jesus Christ with your life. And so when he brings you home, because our days have been numbered, 
We can't live one nanosecond longer anyways than he and his sovereignty already knows and ordained and planned. It's a very precious thing in the sight of God Almighty when he calls one of his children home to himself. And it's our great gain. And he loves it. And I think Jesus kind of articulates this for us as we close this morning in these last three verses. The why. And he shows us our great value in the sight of God the Father. Another reason to not fear. Because perfect love casts out fear. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very head your head are all numbered so do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows listen seeing that God is aware of the most seemingly insignificant little bird of the air this way in one of the most obvious and intentional understatements anywhere in the Bible hyper illustrates for us very clearly how dear we are to God as his children God's intimate knowledge of us is so intricate and personal, he knows the number of hairs that we have on our head. And I don't think that God's just interested in counting hairs for the sake of counting hairs. I think he knows the number of hairs on our head because he's intimately acquainted with us. He knows us so intimately and intricately, he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. And for some of you, it's probably easier to count than others just looking out there this morning but you know what it's a statement more about not how many hairs you have on your head but how intimately God the Father knows you values you and loves you and in light of such a great love perfect love casts out fear Jesus is letting these disciples know those whom he's sending out into the into this religious persecution environment that as, as sheep out into wolves he's letting them know that your heavenly father he knows you And I think Jesus said it really well when we get to Matthew 28. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's an intimacy that God the Father has with his people. Listen, he sent his son and bought and paid for you with the precious blood of his only son. We rehearse that today with the Lord's table. So again, verse 31, do not fear. God's got you. He values you so much. Precious When you die for sharing the gospel with somebody, I think of Jim Elliott who died at the end of a spear. Young man who said, Lord, use my life. Burn it up like a flame. And he did. He did exactly what Jim wanted him to do. And he died as a young man at the end of a spear trying to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Alka Indians. A people group who needed the Lord. And today there's churches all over the mountainside over there where Jim and his compadres who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Jim knew of his value in the sight of God the Father. Jim knew that God had his back, and Jim feared not man, but feared God. And we're just called to do it here in Jinx, Oklahoma, or wherever California, or wherever you may put your roots. That's what he's calling us to do, church. He's given us three very reasonable understand, re- reasons for why we should not fear as we leave these doors today to go out and be ambassadors for Christ as though in chains. Amen? Amen. Church, are you ready to go? Amen. We come here and we gather to, be, to get strength, to get some steel in our spine so that we can go do the work of ministry. The action's out there. In here, this is it. Listen, if you, need, if you need a shoulder to cry on, I've got two shoulders. 
I'll, you can come cry on the shoulder. I'm going to hug you. I'm going to pick you up. Um, I'll walk with you as long as I need to walk with you to get you back in the game. Okay? But listen, making disciples happens out there. Let's go do it, church.